from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there and good evening. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Monday night. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And plenty of things to talk about. I'm going to throw a bunch of them at you now. We're going to work through them as we move on throughout the evening. Uh, one of the, the big stories that is out there was, of course, you've probably seen this. Karine Jean-Pierre um, had a, a, a little bit of a presser where she was uh, discussing new vaccines. And Biden's out there saying, it's a great vaccine. Everybody got to take the vaccine. It's a really good vaccine. So you're, I think you're going to really enjoy that segment when we get to it. Uh, I want to get into that. I also want to get into uh, the state of affairs in the American economy. We're going to talk about that. Uh, while uh, we haven't gone under, it doesn't look like we're really moving forward, at least not fast enough. And we also have, let's see, there's a couple of things. Oh, the Trump stuff. There's plenty of Trump news out there. Former President Trump now, the, the judges have decided uh, we're going to do the the first trial date. Uh, not right when the prosecutors asked. They said, no, 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 that would be crazy to do it right when you ask. We'll do it two months after. <laughs> and then and they, they ended up doing it right before Super Tuesday anyway. So um, how's that for a, a not rigged system? And interestingly enough, the president of Mexico, uh, he goes by AMLO. Let's see, Andres something, something, Lopez Obrador. Okay, and he says that what's happening to Trump is purely political. And I think that's, it. it, it this is a fight he doesn't have to get into, right? Uh, he mentioned it, I guess he was asked in an interview. But I thought it was remarkable that he actually took an opinion on it because, you know, one way or the other, right? It, it doesn't really help him. I don't see the political advantage to, for him. But he said it, and I think he said it sincerely, in so much as uh, he wouldn't want that to happen to him. I don't think any uh, president would want to see their Department of Justice, their legal system turned on its head, weaponized, just to go after a political opponent. And especially when you see something like that in the United States. So obviously this is a, a very problematic issue, and we'll continue to, to, to follow it so that you know what's going on with it. Uh, but something I wanted to talk about, and we'll get into it a little bit more uh, in the next segment when our guests uh, are with us. But there's uh, a story every week, it seems, sometimes two stories a week, of major businesses, mainly retailers, that are just closing up shop. And yet here's another one that's joined the ranks here, the Nordstrom in San Francisco which is honestly one of the most expensive places to live, San Francisco. Nordstrom is closing its uh, location there after 35 years. Why? Because of increased crime. Now, a Nordstrom employee at the San Francisco location partially attributed the closure to rampant crime in the area, according to ABC News and The Daily Caller. Property crime, which includes shoplifting, rose by, listen to this, 57% in downtown San Francisco between 2019 and 2022. And that's according to USA Today. So this is fascinating to me. 
we've seen all sorts of stores, right? Uh, not just that one. You had Dick's that said that they're losing money. They, they had a uh, bad earnings report because they're also suffering from what used to be shrinkage. Now it's a straight up loss. And while they may be able to write it off, it's still a big thing. The gap uh, we've had, we've just the, the decline in sales to me is just remarkable. So I'm, we're going to get into that in a little bit as well. Uh, there's also, let me see, there was another big story I wanted to talk about here. Oh, listen to this. And maybe this is one uh, we can do a little bit later as well and get your opinions on. Uh, the National Institutes of Health did a study on masks suggesting that the N95 mask may expose wearers to a dangerous level of chemicals that are linked to cancer and seizures. And, of course, I posted that on, on my social media earlier today, and everybody was chiming in, does Dr. Fauci know about that? <laughs> did somebody clue him in? Now, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not against the science. I never have been. But here's the science telling us that the N95 is the only mask that actually works. In the beginning, it was put a bandana on your face. Cover your face with anything. Just make sure you're covered up. Now, and I get it. There's a little trial by error. But here we are. And now they're saying that these masks are no good. And these are the masks that are supposed to be the only ones that are good, especially if they're like double-sided tape, you know, taped to your face around your mouth to make it an airtight seal. It, it makes you think, what in the world is going on? So we're going to jump into that one as well. I also want to talk about this big shooting uh, in Jacksonville. That was an absolute atrocity. Um, you know, to call it a shooting, I think, is an understatement. This is something, this was a racist going hunting. And this shouldn't happen. But the question remains with that. What law can anyone propose that would stop a lunatic from committing acts of lunacy? There isn't one. Because God himself uttered these words that thou shalt not murder. And they were etched into the Ten Commandments. And that doesn't stop people. The reality is you can't stop crazy people from doing crazy things. And the argument that you should take the gun away from the sane people so that the crazy people can't have guns, it is just an argument that just doesn't work, right? I mean, I know that I don't know every gun law in every state, but I know I'm from New York and I live in Jersey now. And I can tell you, New Jersey, good luck getting a gun if you were uh, institutionalized and whatnot. It's just not going to happen. So I, I look at this and I think this is an absolute atrocity. And I hope that the media shies away from the direction they were going, because I have some audio of them saying, you know, uh, this happened because there's rampant hate in the area. And, you know, the way we know there's hate, we see Trump signs and Confederate flags. Now, listen, I am not one of those guys that you'll meet that's a big fan of, of the Confederacy. Never have been. Uh, I've always thought it's a part of our history, but it's more of a traitorous rag than an ode to General Lee. And if you're one of my listeners that loves General Lee, good for you, not a fan. What can I tell you? That's just how the cookie crumbles with me. But to suggest that that's anything less than a, just an act of violence and, and hatred uh, would be an understatement. And uh, my heart goes out to everybody that was impacted by that today. Absolute craziness. And there was one more thing that I wanted to put out there for you guys, but I'll discuss it on the way back. And on the way back, we're also going to have a chat with the former president of the World Wrestling Entertainment Organization, the WWE, Linda McMahon. She was also uh, the head of the SBA in the Trump administration. And I'm looking forward to our chat with her. So folks, stick around, sit back, relax, kick up your legs, turn the volume up on your radio. We are just getting started. I'm here with you till 1 a.m. Eastern time. That's the next three hours. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. Thank I had somebody. You. It's always nice to check. I like to see, <laughs> even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing. Are people listening, right? That's but right. But you're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back. Rich Valdez and our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ, if you want to join us. Now, our guest is somebody you've probably heard of. You've probably seen her on television, whether it's through her business or through her role as the administrator for the U.S. Small Business Administration. Uh, Linda McMahon is with us. Linda McMahon, welcome. Thank you, Rich. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be with you. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I have to tell you, um, there's so many important things to talk about, but I want to talk about my upbringing for a second (laughs) and how my dad, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, right? And my dad, first of all, it was my mom. My mom used to take me to Shell Bank Junior High School in Brooklyn, not far from our house. And we would go and watch um, the the weeknight events uh, that, that you guys used to put on when it was back when it was the World Wrestling Federation. And then as I got older, my dad would take me to the garden to uh, the events that are now today, like Monday Night Raw and stuff like that. And I got to tell you, these were some of the most impressionable and memorable parts of my childhood. And it's just uh, remarkable for so many people on so many levels, right? I think it's a, it's a real family affair. It's like going to the circus, but maybe a little bit more affordable. And, and here we are today where it's, it's an absolutely huge industry and enterprise. And uh, I just, uh, I think it's fantastic. Uh, tell us how, you know, how you got from, traveling like so many small um, wrestling promotions to becoming uh, this massive one known as the WWE? <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, you know, the job description at WWE, and by the way, I am I am not at WWE anymore. It clearly is still, um, you know, run by, uh, my, by my family, but I haven't been there since about 2009-10, but was mm-hmm. very instrumental in the growth and development and taking the company public and all of that. So, and I'm very proud of uh, of the company and the, the the job description for WWE for everyone every day is to put smiles on people's faces, and so and and so that's and so that's the job. It's to entertain, uh, and it is to bring fun and it's family entertainment and families go together just like you were describing. And so those events are held, uh, you know, all over the world at this point, and uh, it's a it, it's just really such a fun and vibrant business and to go anywhere in the world and be recognized is, uh, is you know, is, is quite a thrill. And yeah, to, I can only imagine. To, see how, to see how the business grew from just being kind of a, just a, as you said, kind of a traveling, uh, you know, just a traveling show to now, uh, having events only and big stadiums, big arenas, uh, all around the country, which is the evolution of the popularity of the of the product itself and and how we decided to make it be different but you know at first it was in high school gyms as you mentioned etc but now it is in the major stadiums and arenas all over the world really remarkable and, and i think like many things in life it's a it's a testament of a the american dream b uh, uh shows kind of like what you learn along the way which i think really paves the way for for someone like yourself uh, and other entrepreneurs that have achieved success to really weigh in as a, a small business administrator for the United States. Uh, I think that's a, a an important position and one that that really should always be held, I think, by somebody that was on the front line and 
is now in government. And I've, I've always taken exception to, to people that are just kind of like bureaucrats or people that, you know, come out of academia because I feel like they're missing the grit. They're missing, you know, something you said, right, the, the, your mission statement to put a smile on people's faces. That business is very different than my business, but ultimately, same thing, right? I have to be informative and entertaining and do a heck of a good promo to make sure people come back. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, um, um, SOL. So um, I, I think that, that that's so many people, right, in what they do in their lives, whether they have a bodega or whether they have a, you know, some other, a moving company. It, it, small sure. business is the backbone of our country. And and I think it's it was just great to see you in that role. Uh, what were some of your big takeaways from being the small business trader for the United States? Well, and, and I'll get to that in just one second. Just a couple of stats that you've blown me away relative to small businesses. You know, 99% of the businesses in this country are small businesses. 99%. Uh-huh. About 33 million of them, and they contribute about 43, almost 44% to GDP uh, in this country. Uh, and that's an amazing statistic. And as you mentioned, it is everything from, you know, the mom-and-pop shot pop, uh, mom and pop shop, sorry, uh, you know, the small bodegas, all the way up to is defined by SBA to uh, a company with about 500 employees. That's kind of a general uh, rule of thumb. Um, and it's just amazing to see all the different um, businesses and what the innovation of entrepreneurs, you know, all over the country. I had the benefit of being at SBA, of doing some amazing things. I went to every district office. There's 68 of them in all 50 states. I visited small businesses. I would do a press uh, you know, press tours while I was there to bring attention, focus to those small businesses and what SBA was trying to do. And um, it, it's just an amazing country to see what people can do with the American dream. And that's not, I'm not just throwing that out there in a trite way. This is the only country in the world where you can have that opportunity to you know, to to put everything you've got into it and to, and to succeed, uh, or and often fail, take risks and fail. I've failed. Um, uh, you know, went bankrupt one time, lost lost our home, or my car was repossessed in the driveway. Uh, so it's not uh, you know, it's not always successful. There there are some times when you 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 may risk it all and lose it all for a bit. But I always said it's not how you fall; it's how you get back up. And so small businesses, uh, they. They really, really are the backbone of the, of the economy in this country. And it was such a, a wonderful thing, an opportunity for me to be able to serve at SBA. And really, I think the thing I took away the most from, uh, from my tenure at SBA was piggybacking a little bit on what I was just talking about. And that is that this country has the most inventive and creative people, I think, in the world. And it's, uh, it's amazing to see, you know, what they can do. Now, whether that's in the tech world, where I think we see uh, a lot more focus and attention put on that today, uh, you know, startups, and you hear about the, uh, you know, all the, the young technicians in the startup world who have an idea and they build all these systems in their garages or when they're in college and then suddenly they're out and they sell them and they're billionaires. But there are... So many, many more of the corner deli and the pizza shop and the hair salons and the nail salons and all of those businesses that go into making 
what our economy uh, is is based on and so and why we are so strong here in this country. Oh, I, I, 100%. And again, as you say that, I, I resonate. My, my very first job was at Dunkin' Donuts as a teenager, but the, right after that, I'd made myself a job and it became a business. Uh, and I opened a barbershop while I was still in high school. And I did that for years. And it was it was easy for me at the time because, you know, I was an affable guy and I was able to get clients. But I look back at that and I think, you know, is that same opportunity available today to a high school senior to actually, you know, get some money, borrow some money from my brother or whatever I did and and open up a storefront and then go to school for cosmetology and whatnot? Uh, I think the opportunity's there, but it's definitely not going to be as, as easy as it was for me because there's a lot of obstacles in the way today, um, not the least of which is inflation, which hopefully is temporary. Uh, you know, meaning it's going to go away eventually, not transitory like uh, the Fed chairman said. But I feel like there's just a number of obstacles, including red tape. And this was something that uh, you and President Trump were, were very effective at managing uh, during your tenure with the SBA was managing red tape so that people actually had access to whatever the SBA had to offer. Tell us about it. Well, that's, exa- that's exactly right. And, and, you know, President Trump, when he took office, I mean, he was definitely anti-regulation. He was definitely against unnecessary uh, regulation, and he wanted to cut taxes. He wanted the economy to, to flourish. And so uh, small businesses were absolutely the benef- beneficiary of both of those policies. I mean, and, and he put in place for every new regulation that was promulgated, then you had to remove two. And I think at the end, it was like, up to eight or nine or more regulations that were actually taken away for uh, each new one that was put in place. And the economy just thrived. We cut taxes. Uh, The middle class flourished. The economy was just strong. Businesses were able to get loans because inflation was so low. Interest rates were down. Mm -hmm. Uh, Money was much easier to access. Um, And uh, you know, people had more money in their pockets, so they were going to stores and they were buying more things. And and that's the kind of, you know, economy that we have. We have entrepreneurs who are willing to take risks. They put goods and services on sale uh, or, or to provide uh, for those who need those goods or services. And, and, that's, uh, and that's what you do. Outstanding. Linda McMahon, stick with us. We're coming right back. Folks, we're on with Linda McMahon, former U.S small business administrator and former president of the WWE. We're coming right back with her, plus your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Welcome back. And just like anybody who's a fan of wrestling, and listen, if you're not a fan of professional wrestling, you're missing out, right? You're missing out on all of the uh, 
the the excitement of it, the the characters and how those characters develop, the storylines, the plot twists, all of the excitement, the aluminum chair that comes out of nowhere, all of that stuff. It sounds so much like American politics, right? I mean, it's just today it's this, tomorrow it's that. Now we've got trials that are set for President Trump right before the Super Tuesday primary and, and just more and more and more piling on every single day. And it, it just uh, it is eerily reminiscent. Um, years ago, I used to joke with my friends when we'd see crazy things in politics and we would like message each other and be like, yeah, totally WWE. But now it's like, man, this is really coming to life. Like it's absolutely out of control. Folks, our guest is Linda McMahon, former president of the WWE and former U.S. small business administrator. And Linda McMahon, uh, do you agree with me that things are just totally out of control in our government or is that just me? Well, certainly the policies, I think, are out of control. There's no question about that. And we were talking a little bit before the break, you know, about um, small businesses. And were were they able really to get started today? Like maybe uh, uh, is is it harder today or to stay in business? And, you know, one thing I wanted to talk a little bit about was the impact of businesses on crime. And these are are as a result of crime. And these are policies that are in place where criminals are not being arrested. They're not being prosecuted. Uh, the laws are just too lax. I mean, in New York City uh, or, or in New York, if, um, you know, if you, if you don't steal something that's uh, over $1,000, it's just treated as a misdemeanor. In, in right. California, it's uh, $950. Just go in and you steal. And, well, hey, well, you know what? $950 maybe to that store owner. You've got that, that you know, that small retail shop on the corner. And um, and those folks have put their life savings in to stock those shelves, or they maybe they've maxed out on their credit card, or whatever it is. And it doesn't take too many of those kind of robberies to come in, and uh, and and suddenly they're bankrupt and they're out of business. And it's just a shame that this is allowed to go on. You look at Nordstrom's, that's just closed in San Francisco. That was three hundred thousand square feet, I think five floors of a major store wow. uh, in San Francisco, and. What you have to consider, Rich, is it's not just that store. Any big store, any, uh, you know, any Main Street store, whatever, that's large like that and attracts foot traffic and, and customers coming in are all kinds of other small businesses that grow up around it. There's the, you know, there is the little cafe on the corner. There's the coffee shop. There are all of those things that support all of those surrounding businesses. So when you have something like Nordstrom's go out of business to shut down, you impact all of the other businesses around it. It's just the domino effect. Uh, and we are seeing that all across the country in this, this crime wave. You know, there are gangs. These are hoods, hoodlums that go into these stores and rob, and they do it in a very sophisticated, planned way. I was looking at a, a statistic in New York that said that, um, you know, all of these crimes uh, in, in this whole spate of crimes over the last few months were were all – uh, done by this same group of thugs. There are a little over 300 of them. And they have committed over 6,000 robberies in the same areas, just this same little group. They go in, it's organized that they go in and, and rob these stores. And um, the impact of that is is just really, um, you know, unbelievable. People don't want to work in the stores. You have consumers who don't want to go in the stores. Uh, and they, like Nordstrom's, could go out of business. And it's uh, it's just insane that the policies that we have, you know, with uh, with mayors or 
you know, with, you know, with police commissioners or whatever they are, the district attorneys that are in these areas that are not enforcing the law and allowing this lawlessness to continue, is just absurd. Uh, and it's very, it's very dangerous, you know, for not only people who may get in the way of uh, these thugs who are coming in, but also, you know, just for the economy in general. This is really rampant, and it has to stop. Different policies have to be put in place to stop this. Yeah, you know, I think you're uh, spot on with this, Linda McMahon. The the 82-year-old um, worker at a Home Depot a couple of months back who uh, got in the way of a shoplifter, he was knocked down, he died. And, and, and that's horrific, right? And then we look at how something you mentioned, and as you were saying it, the word that popped to my mind was organized crime, right? These are organized crime rings that are going out there with hammers. They're masked up. They have book bags on. They're ready to go. They do the smash and grab, whether it's the Yves St. Laurent store or, or Nordstrom or anywhere else. And th- this is big business for people in the streets. And some suggest that this is uh, the result of deregulation and not the type of deregulation that, you know, you talked about with um, Small Business Administration, but this is really decriminalizing crime. And you have these pro-crime progressive prosecutors that choose not to prosecute. And it, it kind of um, adds fuel to the fire. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, um, do you see this coming to an end? How so? Well, it just has to come to an end. You know, I, I'm not a lawyer, but honestly, I think that there's some of these small businesses in these cities that, you know, are at some point going to say, you know what, we're just going to start, we're going to sue the, you know, we're going to sue the city or we're going to sue whoever it is we need to sue, but we have to, we have to put a stop to this. We have to you know, organize ourselves and to, you know, to get some muscle behind us. And uh, not muscle, I don't mean that in terms of streets and rioting and all of that. I right, just right. meant that physically. Effective policy. But le- sure. Yeah, le- legal muscle, good policy. And, it, hey, elections do have consequences. So you have to look at who, who have you voted for to put into office, who, who are the district attorneys, you know, who are the uh, those uh, you know representatives that may be more in line with making sure these policies go forward or don't change them. Uh, and, and let's make some changes, you know, with elections to uh, to put the people in office that we think are going to change these policies and, and arrest this crime and get our economy back on track and look at uh, and look at what a, a deregulatory environment looks like and keeping taxes low so that our economy can flourish and all of those things combined for the success uh, of, of our country and and the success of families and the success of companies large and small and it's just necessary uh, that we make these changes you know earlier you mentioned 99 percent of all businesses in the united states are small businesses and i'm looking at this stat here in this fox news piece it says that retail theft has increased by 26.5 percent uh just in 2021 alone so that means a more than 25 percent increase in people going in and stealing things from businesses that 99% of them are mom and pop shops. And I just can't help but think this type of policy isn't really like an, um, you know, some people say that they're doing this because they didn't get to reparations and they felt like this was a backdoor deal with some, with some activists, but however you want to frame it, you're actually hurting people in these neighborhoods. And it, it doesn't mean that these people are, 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 are big corporations. These are regular people that are trying to run a business like I once ran. And I can't help but think that these policies are just so destructive to the American people. And 
I can't imagine the American people are going to sit there and just take it laying down. No, and and and, and what you find is that you think about just a lot of high school students or or young college students who would work in retail stores and get summer jobs and, and you know, ha- just make some money during the summer. Maybe they're helping to pay off a college loan or to get back into school. And now their parents are saying, we don't want you to work in any of these stores. It's too dangerous. And so where are they going to go? Uh, you know, what kind of jobs are they going to get if they don't have vocational or, or different kind of training, you know, in their jobs. And so it's, um, it, it really is a, a, a real plight of our country that we have got We've got to put people in to change these policies who understand business. That's one thing that uh, mm-hmm. President-elect Trump said to me when he asked me about serving as administrator of SBA. He said, I want somebody in there who's actually built and run a business right. and can understand when they are visiting with businesses and talking to them and what they need and how can the government be helpful and not be in the way of uh, entrepreneurs and not overregulate them and not overtax them. Um, and I think those were the policies that were put into place under the prior administration, and we saw what the result of it was. We had, mm-hmm. you know, inflation was very low. Uh, you know, wages were going up. The economy was thriving. And uh, we, we, we can do it again with, with new and different policies. President Reagan said it best, get off my back and out of my pocket. Linda McMahon, stick with me. We're going to come right back and wrap it up. I want to hear one of your favorite stories, either from the your time as SBA administrator or your time as uh, president of the WWE. And we're going to do that straight ahead, folks. We're on with Linda McMahon, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833 833- for Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-for Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. And our guest, former president of the WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment, and uh, the former administrator of the United States Small Business Administration, Linda McMahon, is our guest. And we're going to get to your calls as well shortly. Linda McMahon, in your travels, both as past president and past administrator, what's the most memorable story that uh, comes to mind? Well, if I may, just for one second... Uh, we've talked mm-hmm. a little bit about what you know what I did in my past, and I'll be happy to talk to you about that story. But just telling you a little bit about what I'm doing now. I am oh, the uh, chair of the America First Policy Institute, that's AFPI, and our website is AmericaFirstPolicy.com. And what we are doing is helping to develop the kinds of policies that I've been talking about that are necessary to make the changes that we need to make. I mean, we have uh, 22 centers at the Institute that deal with everything from American prosperity and economics to voter integrity, to, um, to our foreign relations, our defense, our healthcare systems, our educational system, all of that. And uh, I also have the uh, opportunity within 
the America First Policy Institute to chair the Center for the American Worker, which ties right back into my background at SBA and that knowledge of being at SBA and seeing what small businesses did and how what the is the impact on regulation and taxes for the American worker in our country. So uh, please uh, feel free, you know, to check us out at AmericaFirstPolicy.com and, and see the things that we are doing, working with not only our federal uh, legislation, but also uh, on the state level, we're a 501c3. So just wanted to let you know that um, that not only do I have a, a rich background in business development, but I'm, I'm very pleased to be doing this work now to help structure and and uh, create the policy that can go forward, you know, on day one, hopefully for uh, for a new administration, and, um, and and we'll be able to turn some things around. So Excellent now, work. And that was my follow-up question, by the way, so you beat me to it. Go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, it's a cheap plug. I had to be sure to, to get in. Absolutely. Uh, no, you're a pro. Uh, so exactly, you know, what we're doing now, which is, and, and I have often said with as many, and, and I've, I'm so grateful for the opportunities that I've had in, in my career, and I, uh, and it's been a very successful career, but I do believe this is some of the most meaningful work that I've ever done because yeah. I do think that our country is on the wrong track, and I, I really want to work very hard to make sure we right that ship. So when I was at, um, at SBA, I had some incredible opportunities touring all around the country, um, I think I might have mentioned that I visited all 68 district offices in all 50 right. states. And while I was there, I did fun things like I went gold mining, uh, you know, at a strip mine in um, Montana. I got to drive some of the heavy equipment. Um, you know, I actually went to a um, and, and another time a small business was where the, the uh, law enforcement uh, agency trained its new recruits. So I was in there doing a lot of the mock shooting on videos and how to train and being thrown into, uh, you know, a, a mock environment of that you're being attacked. And I have to tell you, you really, for a couple of minutes, do believe that you are in a real life or death situation. You can hear wow. people screaming and they're running up to you saying you have to come now and you have to make determinations on whether you open fire, whether you hold your fire or all those things, you come out, you, you, your heart's really beating, and you're, you've broken a sweat. So <laughs> it was really, really incredibly fun and educational, but to look at all the different businesses all across, you know, our country and to get to participate, you know, one, uh, one time I was uh, in, in a candy company and actually standing on the line. You've seen, I'm sure, many times the I Love Lucy show where right, Lucy with the conveyor belt. is in in the conveyor belt. So I actually got to stand on, not stand on, but buy one of the conveyor belts and picking off some of the candy and put it in the boxes to see how it was done. So Classic. To, to really, to really get in and to be among those people who literally had those ideas and built those businesses and for them to know that you share their passion because you've done it too, is that uh, was an unbelievable opportunity. And I think that's one of the reasons that being at AFPI now and working so closely uh, with the Center for the American Worker and knowing that I do have that understanding and that appreciation. When, and when I look at things that, you know, are happening to our American workers, that um, when when I look at some of the mandates that President Biden has put down, like I just did an op-ed about what, you know, electric vehicles will do, uh, you know, to, mm. to our economy. You're mandating that uh, these vehicles be in place, and yet, what's that going to do to our electric 
grid, what's it going to do for our workers who are going to be put out of work because it takes fewer workers, you know, to to be an electric car manufacturer than it does in, in the kind of manufacturing we have today. So, you know, when you're claiming to be the champion of the American worker and yet uh, and right. of union workers, and you're literally putting in policies and mandates to put them out of work. That's really something we have to look at. We have to make sure we're taking care of our people, and you cannot do that unless you have been in among the people and the businesses, you know, within yeah. our country. And, uh, and that's what was so exciting, so thrilling to me to be at SBA, but even before that, to have built a business from the groundwork. And WWE does go into communities all over the world, but in our country to go in community after community and do things with local hospitals and local organizations. And they would come to your events and you were able to put those smiles on people's faces and entertain them. It's just been uh, incredibly wonderful for me. It sounds like an amazing journey. Linda McMahon, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, Linda McMahon, chair of the America First Policy Institute, former president of WWE and former U.S. Small Business Administrator, Linda McMahon, Godspeed to you and everything you're doing to your family as well. I thank you for being here tonight. Thanks so much. It's a, it was really a pleasure. You Bye-bye. bet. Bye-bye. More to come straight ahead. Your calls and more in a moment. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And to the phones we go, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're going to go straight to North Carolina right now. Moorhead City, North Carolina, WTKF. Let's check in with Rose. Rose, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, Miss McMahon was so impressive. Uh, she does more than that, what she mentioned, mm. because we couldn't have rebuilt our home after Hurricane Florence in 2018 without the help of the SBA. Uh, government agencies didn't work. They let everybody in that was contractors from out of state. They were stealing from people. There was no legitimate anything that was not, it was all not normal. President Trump declared it a disaster area, but it was like parasitic city. Everybody came in. Everybody staked a place. They never helped. They The state wouldn't help. They said, well, if they're out of state contractors, they couldn't help you because you'd have to sue in the state they came from. Wow. But and, they came in and they were mm-hmm. so organized and helpful and 2% loans. Wow. Well, I'm glad that you were able to to rebuild. And, yeah, I think that's just one more feather in the cap of the Trump administration. Of They, they did well on a number of things. And I think it underscores the importance of having somebody who was really on the front lines of building a business and helping people to rebuild, whether it's their business or whatnot, in a natural disaster like people are facing in Hawaii. Let's see if the Biden administration can step up to the plate and be a little more empathetic. Rose, thank you for your call. Folks, we're going to continue our discussion straight ahead. We're going to get into the uh, shooting in Jacksonville, and there's apparently a bunch of other shootings that have occurred throughout the day and over the weekend. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. There is more to come straight ahead.
Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. And I'm keeping you company straight till 1 a.m. Eastern time. Of course, our phone number, if you want to join our late-night town hall conversation, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, there's been a number of shootings um, throughout the weekend up in, up until today, the uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, uh, had a shooting today. There was a faculty member that was killed in a shooting on campus, uh, apparently by a disgruntled student. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, there was also the shooting in Jacksonville, Florida, which is really what I wanted to dig into because this has been um, an ongoing story, and it's it's really just a horrible, horrible story. I typically try to stay away from these horrible stories, but... They need to be addressed. And lamentably, the the folks that report the news, you know, I comment on them and on the news, but they're supposed to give you the facts. And while they give you the, some of the facts, they like to give you a ton of opinion. You would think they're the ones that are the talk show hosts. But, you know, it's always remarkable to me that no matter what atrocity occurs, they somehow figure out an angle to tie it into something that's political. You know, if it's a, if it's a fire that some saying are arson or something else uh, in, in Maui, they, that's because of the Trump administration's rollback on climate policies. And I mean, they, everything gets politicized. And uh, Isaiah Rumlin, he is a, a, I don't know what he is, but the uh, president of the NAACP in Jacksonville, he was on CNN and saying that the shooting at the Dollar General was something that I guess they uh, saw coming because they had seen Trump signs in the area. And I think this is just so vile, right? Um, but this is what he had to say. Listen to Isaiah Rumlin, cut 15. Check this out. Over the weekend, I spoke with my colleague, Juliette Kayyem. She used to be an official with uh, the Department of Homeland Security. And she told me that Jacksonville specifically is a, a breeding ground of neo-Nazism, that they have been tracking this and seeing this. I mean, what can you tell me and tell us about the climate there in Jacksonville um, with these hate groups? Well, I, I think the federal government and the Justice Department are going to have to do a better job and uh, and. Uh, exercising exactly where these hate groups exist. Uh, I mean, we see these uh, Confederate signs, we see the Trump signs uh, constantly on our street, on our streets. And we know from that standpoint that uh, there's hatred and uh, uh, we're just gonna have to deal with it some kind of way. And the Justice Department need to be right here today uh, looking into it. So there you go. They've already equated uh, Trump signs to Confederate flags to hate. And that's why these things are happening, not because of irresponsible people 
uh, doing irresponsible and reckless and evil things. So I want to get to the bottom of this. I want to bring in the national spokesperson and Florida state director for Gun Owners of America. He's a former police officer and detective, Luis Valdez, with an S, no relation, but welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Rich, and thank you for the hard work that you do with your show on the air. And I just want to jump right in on this. It is sickening that you have Democrats trying to pin the blame for Democratic history on Republicans. Last I checked, it was Democrats who seceded from the Union and founded the Confederacy. It was Democrats who instituted Jim Crow bigotry. It was Democrats who passed Jim Crow laws that disarmed blacks and other minorities in the state of Florida. And it was Democrats who still to this day push gun control to disarm the law-abiding public. And sadly, those victims are part of the community. They are, they, they, the fact that they were targeted based on the color of their skin is atrocious. And gun owners of America will not stand for that. Because last I checked, our Second Amendment rights is inalienable, and that belongs to every American, no matter their color, their creed, their ethnicity, their religion, their background, or their nationality. As a Cuban American, I find it irre- I, I find it insulting that you have politicians dancing and stepping over the bodies of these three people to push gun control to disarm the hundreds of thousands to millions of law-abiding Floridians in Florida that exercise their God-given rights to protect themselves from that nut job that went and targeted those three people. Well, that was well said, and uh, yeah, I got to agree with you. This is an absolute act of craziness. The gunman, uh, the, they've identified him as 21-year-old Ryan Christopher Palmetter, and I think, you know, rather than gunman, they should say the murderer but um, left all sorts of racist writings, racial slurs, had a, uh, a gun with a swastika on it. And they say that this guy was a Looney Tune already. And, and I, I just can't help but think, you know, there are already laws in place, like background checks and whatnot, to, to get firearms. And the idea that they want to impose gun control um, that would limit every law-abiding American from being able to protect themselves from this kind of crazy, uh, it's just beyond me, really. I think if if anything, when things like this happen, there should be a call for more people to say, hey, you know what, um, maybe we should roll back some of this craziness. And and the sheriff, uh, Jacksonville County Sheriff uh, T.K. Waters, uh, he made a statement today, and I want you to listen to this, because I, I think it was uh, uh, appropriate and on point. Listen to this. Well, we have to stop people that have bad intentions. The story is always about guns. It's, people are bad. This guy's a bad guy. If I can take my gun off right now, and I put it on this counter, nothing will happen. It'll sit there. But as soon as a wicked person grabs a hold of that handgun and starts shooting people with it, there's a problem. The problem is the individual. Now, guns are a tool that people use to do, do, do horrible things. But um, it's the individuals that, that wield these things. So we, we are working hard to try to, to try to stop that. But in this situation, in this case, there was nothing saying, there was nothing illegal about him owning the, the fire. And I think that's really the point. It goes back to the old saying, it's not guns that kill people, it's people that kill people, Luis Valdez. Very much so. Sheriff Waters was on point in my 15 years of law enforcement officer here in Florida. Backs that up. Bad people do bad things because they're criminals, and criminals break the law. 
Last I checked, murder has been illegal since the time of Hammurabi. And guess what? People still do it to this day because they are bad people. Florida already has background checks. Florida already has a 20, an under-21 purchase ban. Florida already has mandatory waiting periods. Did that stop any of this? No. The only thing that would have stopped this is the law-abiding people being armed and being able to shoot back. And sadly, you have politicians targeting minority communities and pushing and throwing and slandering them into thinking that if they own a firearm to defend themselves, they're bad. When in reality, and we know the honest truth, and sadly I know this as a police officer, when seconds count, I was minutes to an hour away, and we are reactionary. We show up after the fact to stop crime, to not stop crime, to catch the perfect traitor. If you want to stop crime, you have to be your own first responder, and you have to defend yourself. And again, these three people that were gunned down by this racist nut job are victims here. And people using them to push political ideology is wrong. There is a mental health crisis in this country. It's not a gun violence problem, as some politicians push it, put it. This kid, well, he's no longer a kid. He was 21. But when he was a kid, when he was a teenager, he was Baker Acted. And for folks that don't know, the Florida Baker Act law is very simple. If you have the means, the motive, and the opportunity to harm yourself or others— and you make statements to harm yourself or others, and you refuse voluntary treatment, you could be taken for up to 72 hours to the nearest mental health facility, and you could be examined. And he was examined, and they cut him loose. They didn't adjudicate him mentally defective. But it's already coming out that this guy was on a bunch of antipsychotic medications, and this is the same pattern that we're seeing with what we saw in Parkland, what we saw in, in Buffalo, New York, what we saw all over. And worse, this guy is a copycat of the Buffalo and New Zealand shooters, the Buffalo, New York and New Zealand shooters. Because what did both of them do? They decked out their firearms in written, hateful speech, hating people, targeting people of certain persuasions. And that's what this guy is. This guy copied that because the media gave them their 15 minutes of fame. Luis Valdez, I want you to come back with us. I, I want to address this mental health stuff a little bit because um, it seems like there's a, a tie between preying on those that are mentally ill and the radicalization uh, that the, all these instances that you uh, mentioned shared. And um, it, it's bizarre, to say the least. Folks, our guest is Luis Valdez. He's the national spokesperson and Florida State Director for Gun Owners of America, former cop and detective. And we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Across America to the liberty loving Latino Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. We can't let hate prevail, and it's on the rise. It's not, not diminishing. 
Silence, I believe, you've all said many times, silence is complicity. We're not going to remain silent. We have to speak out that uh, there's a whole group of extreme people trying to erase history, trying to walk away from them. I mean, the idea that we're sitting here, I never thought that I'd be president, let alone be president, and having a discussion on why books are being banned in American schools. That's uh, President Joe Biden, who I like to call Joe El Maboso Biden, uh, saying that we, we can't stay quiet, we can't let hate prevail, and I agree with that part. But then he goes into talking about banning books. Again, yet another example of how the current administration is always trying to politicize absolutely everything that happens. And it's lamentable, to say the least. But I want to get into this topic of this radicalization of people. And I think that's always happening, right? We saw it in, in the early 2000s with uh, a lot of like American um, Taliban, American ISIS, American uh, um, Al-Qaeda. Uh, and th that's a thing. People are always radicalizing people. Uh, but it seems to be a, a trend with young men that are somewhat mentally ill, taking um, antidepressants and whatnot. And all of a sudden they become Nazis and, and they want to kill people. And I find it crazy, but um, I don't know enough about it. So I'm going to learn from Luis Valdez. He's the national spokesperson of uh, and Florida state director, excuse me, uh, for Gun Owners of America. He's also a former cop and detective. Um, Luis Valdez, tell us about your thoughts on, on radicalization. I know that the Democrats tend to say that this is the biggest problem facing America, and I think that's why they politicize it. I don't think it's the biggest problem we face. But it seems to be a problem where you've got young people that are out there shooting people in the name of racism. Well, the problem that we have with it, it's not just radicalization. We have a mental health crisis in this country. Americans need to be serious with themselves and they need to have a serious conversation. And that conversation is we need to have properly funded facilities. Uh, in my experience as a law enforcement officer here in Florida, most of these facilities are severely understaffed, they're underpaid, they're not maintained well, and you have a social stigma on mental health also. Individuals that should be seeking treatment, they don't because they're ostracized by society. So what do they do? They become recluse, and then they uh, self-medicate with drugs and alcohol, and they further go down the rabbit hole of problems. Um, and the biggest thing is mental health is not a permanent thing. You have a right. lot of individuals that have, you know, they'll have a mental health crisis because of a traumatic event, you know, the, a car accident, the passing of a loved one. You have our veterans who come home from serving our country. They have PTSD. But these are all individuals that want to live successful, productive lives. And to do that, it's no different than me right now. I have a chest cold. I go to my doctor. I say, hey, doc, I don't feel good. He prescribes me something. He looks over me. I get the treatment needed. But if an individual has a mental health issue, they're ostracized, they're, they're shunned, they're ridiculed. And we need to put an end to that. We need to have proper funding. We need to have a proper conversation. And we also need to come to the understanding that, sadly, we do have some people in this country that are just mentally broken and they cannot function in society. Right. And We're the chronic. idea of... of yeah, where it's chronic. And the idea of something like a red flag law, oh, we're going to take the guns away from the crazy person. Well, guess what? As we saw in Wisconsin, crazy people don't need guns to commit violent acts. They right. could use an SUV and run over people at a Christmas Day parade. Sadly. 
And, and that's that's a reality that we have to deal with. And it's it's what I've always said that you, you, bad people are going to do bad things irrespective of whatever method they're going to use. People make the argument, of course, but guns are easier and they shoot bullets so they don't have to actually do any of those crazy things. But it doesn't stop the crazy. And it is crazy, in my opinion, to take away a fundamental inalienable right, uh, the Second Amendment, from, from law-abiding citizens who would have otherwise a shot at defending themselves and taking that right away from them or limiting it to the point where it's un, unattainable to to actually exercise that right, which is unconstitutional and un-American in my opinion. I, I agree with you that we have this mental health crisis and it seems to have you know, been exacerbated by the pandemic, but there's a lot of things I think that society and culture have kind of lent themselves to uh, with respect to um, these, these people. And by these people, I mean these shooters, these killers. Uh, I had a psychiatrist on our program not too long ago who was saying that so many of these, um, these shooters they end up meeting a, a, a similar profile and not only with the mental health stuff, but it goes beyond to what she called um, incel or involuntarily celibate. And, and there's a profile that starts to emerge from so many of these shooters. And I can't help but think, it, you know, is it the proliferation of the Internet? Is it um, just the fact that when they were born, that now things are so digital? Like, I, I don't know, but it seems like there's just a, a lot of reasons um, or to for people to become isolated, like you said, to become a, a recluse. And when they do, this is the, the caveat. So I think part of it is the red flag should be if you have a kid that's a recluse or your neighbor's kid is a recluse, maybe we should, you know, pay a little bit more attention and see if we could get them the right help. Well, it comes down to this. If an individual is a threat to society, letting them loose on the streets of said society doesn't stop the threat. If, mm -hmm. if lawmakers want to be serious, then we need to get criminals off the streets because we have a revolving door prison system. We've seen how that goes in a number of jurisdictions right. across our country. But the same thing goes with mental health. We need to destigmatize it so people that can function in society could get the treatment that they need. But at the same time, we need to properly fund it for, sadly, the few that cannot function in society. They also get the treatment that they need. And yeah, I just wanted to remind the folks listening how they can get in touch with you and the work you're doing at GOA. Real simple, go to gunowners.org, folks. Gunowners.org. Folks, that's Luis Valdez, National Spokesperson for Gun Owners of America. Luis, thanks for your time, brother. I appreciate it. Godspeed to you. You are a patriot. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more right now. I want to get to some of your calls because I know you guys are eager to weigh in on this issue and there really is a lot to talk about, but I don't want to leave you hanging. Let's go 
to the phones. Let us go to Paul. He's calling from Reading, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. Go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi, Rich. So much to say. I feel like in my 77th year, I've entered bizarro land in a positive way. In other words, everything is backwards. Yeah. I was, I'm liberal about wanting things to be liberated and going forward, but I'm disgusted about going way over, over the limit about uh, letting uh, prisoners go. However, we need to spend a trillion dollars for infrastructure so that we have enough police, enough judges, enough jails, which I was against jails, but we need them and so, so that we can process people and be fair if they've committed a, a, a minor thing, uh, maybe they're able to be let out on, on bail or on, on um, their promise. But there are bad people, as was just told to us, and they need to be confined. Uh, until either mental health has changed them or, or, or they're dead, because if they keep going back out again, um, chances are that they're going to, to, to um, kill again. Yes, yesterday I brought up the first thing, don't, don't bring me uh, of a 10, 10 point uh, to, get, to, to reduce mass, uh, mass murders. And you're right, it is murders which was to turn this publicity away from like the cameras and the, and the sports arenas when, when they're doing things to not get the psychological, oh, I want to be there. Secondarily to that, <clears throat> don't mention their name. Right, don't give them the accolades for being the, the so-and-so shooter because they're looking for that type of infamy. Correct. A male murderer, a male suspected murderer, um, we have to be fair. We do, and, and so forth. So that's the second one. Now, I used to think that the WWE, or however you say it, spelling is not my best point, um, <clears throat> was horrible. And, oh, geez, that's all phony. It dawned on me in my 77th year that, of course, it's phony. And just like you mentioned, it, 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 it's meant to be. They have phony arguments and plot twists, and, you know, you, my, my girl is looking at you and, all those things. It's entertainment yeah. and people love it or they wouldn't have filled the arenas with it. So, and, and I didn't know about the aluminum chair, but everything is done very, very carefully. They do have mistakes like the fellow who fell down and hit his head on the end post and died. Yeah. But okay. Now of that trillion dollars build what we built for the Japanese in world war two. My goodness. Well, they got decent treatment and had the Japanese um, army landed. Uh, we don't know which way they, these people would have gone, even for their own safety, what we better say. And we didn't have a, a military institution to stop from the West Coast if they took San Diego uh, and, and until you get to the Great Lakes um, Naval Training Place. Half of our country would have been So what yeah. do we build? Paul, I want to wanna ask you a question back on a comment you made earlier. Because I agree with what you're saying, uh, but if I were to play the devil's advocate, I would say, but if we build more jails and we have more cops, then we're, we're in line with the colonists' plan for America, and we're going to continue to, to um, you know, oppress people. And this is why they're dismantling it from within, right? So, yeah, we might be out of space right now because there's this major influx because they've opened up the floodgates at the border, but if you have... 
we've heard time and again, we've had the president of the Border Patrol Union on, Brandon Judd. We've had many others, former uh, commissioners of, of Border Patrol and whatnot. And, and they've all said the same thing, that right now the Border Patrol agents have been turned into travel agents. And they're just corralling people and getting them onto a plane somewhere so that they can put them into New York City or put them somewhere else. And, and this is a coordinated thing that's happening by our government. So even if we got more judges, my thought would be, A, they would never let that happen. And B, they would just tell the judges, yeah, give everybody what they want, right? Kind of what they're doing in New York City with the no cash bail, with the rest of the crime that's going on. So I think we need a fundamental change of people, right? The people and, and the way that we're administering our system of justice, our system of, of, of laws when it comes to immigration, because even if we had the infrastructure, I feel like they wouldn't do anything to, to make it work. Well, um, we spent a, a trillion dollars on true inter, inter, uh, you know, bridges and, and railways and roads, and, and that's going to save trillions of dollars from deaths, uh, destruction of vehicles, loss of the person's ability to be productive. So we spend the trillion dollars, and we can do it um, to build comfortable, suitable housing right at the border for maybe um, 200000 it, it seems incredible. But, and then finish the wall, even though we can't have a wall across the entire border, and put these places and the judges and these temporary residences uh, at these border openings, because the law says if a person steps on U.S. soil and says, I want amnesty, um, refuge, we'll have a place for them. Yeah, I, I hear you. And, and I think you're, you're right. We have to do more to secure the border. And people say, oh, but what, what's the point of putting the wall? There's a plenty of point. If there's certain areas where you can't build a wall, guess what? That means it's mountainous or it's a tougher terrain. Fine. If that's the gap, then that's where the gap where you put the most amount of security and you do what you got to do with drones and, and um, other types of sensors that they use. And you do it there. But everywhere else you do it. But when we have an existing wall or a fencing and then you've got our own people opening the fencing and saying, hey, come on through. That's when we've got a huge problem. And that's where we're at, Paul. Thanks for the call. Big shout out to you and everybody on WEEU. We're going to continue with your call straight ahead. We've got more calls coming in now. Again, the phone number. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. We stated several months ago that we have reached full capacity. And that full capacity was verbalized, and now New York is just going to be visually actualized. Uh, we're going to see how much of our cup has basically runneth over. 
we have no more room in the city and we need help. They need help. He needs help. That's Mayor Eric Adams from the city of New York. I like to call him Elite Eric Adams because he's always he's always really well dressed. And listen, I like to dress really nice too. But um, he's out and about on the town, right? Any any club nightclub scene that's really exciting and and uh, big party time, he's there. A lot of mayoring going on there, I would presume. And Eric Adams is saying, "Yeah, basta, no mas, right? No more," because. They can't have any more people. And again, that was a couple of weeks ago that he said that. Well, the Biden administration's written a letter and uh, they're saying uh, that, no, 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 this isn't this isn't uh, our fault here in the federal government. This is your fault for not managing things well. And it's just it's a classic catch 22, you know, Democrats blaming Democrats. And I I just find it pretty funny. But I want to continue our discussion on the phones. Uh, let's go to Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA, and check in with Al. Al, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Uh, good afternoon. How are you today? Wonderful. Thank uh, you, sir. I believe, I believe America has been, has been under secret attack for decades now because all the problems we're having are not rational. They're coming up uh, like... It's uh, one, two, three, and like somebody's moving chess pieces on the board. I think we're in the grips of a secret war, and our enemies are winning. Number one, uh, people who kill others, insane or not, I believe they should uh, uh, face the death penalty. Because uh, in the Old Testament, the Scripture says, Thine eye shall not pity, nor thy hand spare. The murderer shall be put to death, and so you will remove evil from among you. The purpose of the death penalty is not to punish, but to remove people who are no longer uh, stable to stay in, uh, or worthy to stay in a society that is run by law and not by uh, other people's political opinions. Uh, if we don't recognize that we are in a state of attack, and start punching back and defending ourselves accordingly. Uh, this uh, fifth column that they've got uh, corrupting us from within is going uh, to succeed. We need to yeah. realize that all the plagues, all the uh, uh, mm-hmm. the economic downturns, all the uh, uh, the conquering of the American oil companies by the Saudis, and all that is, is part of a plan that's been in effect for over 50, 60 years now. And we need to, it's past time for us to wake up and recognize that. Listen, Al, I think, I think you're spot on. And I don't think the war is so secret. I think there are plenty of people out there that have vocalized this, right? And I guess it comes down to word choice where one person's fundamentally changing America is another man's war on America. And, and that's the reality, right? That's the, the reality that the, our body politic faces every time there's an election. We have to figure out what do we stand for and what do we want out of our country? And lamentably, I think there's been a, um, a big movement. And maybe it's not a movement. Maybe it's just happenstance. Really, the, the, the cause of it isn't really the, the issue. It's the fact that it's happening that's the issue. That Americans are not as inclined to understand civic engagement. They're not 
and I don't mean Americans, um, all Americans, but I mean many of the new ones, right? It seems like the younger they are and the further they've gone through university education, the less they care about God, the less they care about um, the founding of our country, the history of our country, and the more willing they are to just kind of disregard that and just come up with what they think is sensical, you know, as opposed to nonsensical. And I think that's the problem. There, there is a truth, right? There's a reality that this country was founded and how it, and how it was founded, right? There was many um, documents that informed the founding of our country, many of which were written by Sir Edmund Burke, others by others, and the Magna Carta, for example, is, is another one. And all of these things led to natural law, one's rights. Um, our Constitution has emblazoned upon the top, we the people. And it seems that that has gone so far by the wayside to the point where it's like people, yeah, we the people, okay, that's fine sometimes. That was good when the old white men back 100 years ago when they didn't have machine guns, they didn't have bazookas, they didn't have, and, and they tried to minimize the impact or the intent, really, uh, the original intent of the Constitution. And I think that is the, the real problem that we have where we arrive to where we are today, where people just want to make whatever they feel makes sense without really sticking to the plan, sticking to the rules, understanding the rules of the game, uh, which I would say are outlined well in the Constitution, and knowledge of our founding. And when that is lost, people could sell you whatever they want. Because now it's like, well, you know, um, we're not really playing by those rules anymore. We're playing by whatever rules we feel like playing by. And when we get into a situation where we play by our own rules and we do things as we feel like, that's where things um, go to hell in a handbasket, so to speak. And I think that's exactly where we are. So this um, attack on America or this war against us, I think you're right. There, there clearly is an attack on the American family, right? And we've seen that since the days of FDR when they redid welfare to make sure that you could only get welfare if you were a, um, you know, if there was no father in the home. And that led to tons of fatherless homes. And, and so many other policies that little by little have built uh, a track record for where we are today. And it's, it's lamentable. It really is. But that's where we are. And now we have people that are extremely sympathetic to communism. They like to call it progressivism. They, they don't understand uh, the roots of the climate movement and how that this was a huge thing in, in communist Russia and the USSR. And, and literally what Gorbachev got into as soon as um, Reagan told him to tear down that wall. There's there's so many linkages, and it, it 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 just requires a little reading and understanding of what their goal is, their goal of global hegemony, and that I think is where we fall short in in that civics education and historical analysis. So I I agree with you a hundred percent. I think you're spot on. If if we stand for nothing, we'll fall for anything, and. And America needs us to stand up right now. Thank you, Al. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody on WGKA, Atlanta, Georgia. Folks, are coming back to your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Of course, we're going to get to your calls momentarily. Uh, open Phone America is moments away. If you want to join in the national conversation, the final hour of this program, hour number three, is Open Phone America, where you, we the people, America gets to call in and sound off on whatever we've talked about, whatever you want to talk about. If you disagree, we move you to the front of the line. I love those calls. So we're going to get to that. And, of course, the number 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, a couple of things I want to mention here. Uh, that I'll bring up again in the uh, next hour, but just to put them out there. Uh, the state of California is now suing a local school district, which is requiring parents to be notified of students who change their gender. Now, you would think this should be the law everywhere, but it's not. And I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe about four or five weeks ago, or three weeks ago, you know me and my time blindness. I can, it could have been last year, who knows. But um, it was recently, in my mind. And... I am shocked that this is becoming a trend, but we always see it. New York, New Jersey, California, right? This is where they test all of the liberal crazy. In New Jersey, they did the same thing. Uh, The school district, I think it was in Manalapan, they decided to say uh, the school board got together and they they passed this, this regulation for their local school district saying, if a child is identifying as another uh, gender, we have to notify the parents about this gender transition plan. Uh, you know, that this is what their kid has decided to do. And the state attorney general is now suing the school board in New Jersey. And now they're doing the same thing in California. So we'll get into the details of that uh, straight ahead. I also want to throw this one at you. This is really an interesting one. I want to know where you land on this. So there's an airline that is now proposing an adults-only section on international flights. No, no, no. Now, this doesn't mean that you get to stream your favorite triple X website. This does mean that you will be free of children and children crying and children's noises and etc. on an airline flight. Now, I was thinking, rather than call it the adults-only section, why not call it the family-friendly, kid-friendly section? And then I started thinking, well, somebody's going to pay more for these tickets, I'm guessing, right? I I don't think this is like back in the day where it's smoking versus non-smoking. Maybe it is, but I would imagine you pay for everything on a flight now. So if you want that flight where you're going to get that little peace of mind and maybe you get to sleep, well, then maybe, just maybe, you got to pay more. And they didn't want to pass that cost on to families. But I'm wondering if, just charge them both. (laughs) Just say, if you want to sit in the kids-only section, it's an extra 20 bucks. If you want to sit in the adults-only section, it's an extra 20 bucks. And that actually sounds like a fair amenity to me. But I want to hear your thoughts on it. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. Open Phone America starts right now. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Monday evening, hour number three of the program. If you're just joining us, welcome. Give us a call. It's Open Phone America, the third and final hour of the program. 
is uh, always dedicated to the tradition, a long-standing tradition of this program, started by Larry King back in 1978, which is the year I was born, by the way, and continued by the late, great Jim Bohannon for three decades, and we continue that tradition here today. So that's the number, 833-4-VALDEZ, if you want to give us a call, 833-482-5337. And a couple of things I want to throw out there before we get to your calls as they start rolling in. The uh, few things, right? Something I mentioned earlier, it was a question posed to the audience, and I'd love for you to weigh in on it. And again, if you've never called the program, today's a great day to do that because these questions, um, they help me understand the, the national pulse a, a little bit better. But there's an airline, let me just give you which airline, hang on, uh, that is now thinking of offering an adults-only section on their, on their planes, uh, being that some people don't like to hear little kids crying. So on international flights, uh, Turkish-Dutch airline is looking to remove the disruption of children's noises by offering an adult-only zone. And the, they're going to they're gonna start this with flights between Amsterdam and Curaçao. Now, Turkish-Dutch Corindon Airlines said it's introducing the adult-only zone for flights between those cities on November 3rd. Quote, this zone on the plane is intended for travelers without children and for business travelers who want to work in a quiet environment, a translated version of their press release said. And this is in the Hill.com. Now, the airline argued that these zones would also positively impact parents who can worry less about possible reactions from fellow passengers when their child is a bit busier or crying. The adult-only zones will be in the front section of the plane with nine extra-large seats with additional legroom and 93 standard seats. Mmm, fancy. The zone will be uh, physically separated from the rest of the plane using walls and curtains that create a uh, shielded environment that contributes to a quieter and more relaxed flight. So it looks like they're going to be charging a little extra for this. Uh, For the one-way ticket in the adult-only zone, it's going to cost an additional 45 euros which is just under $49. Now, I don't know. That, I, I was thinking 20 bucks. Um, <clears throat> you know, 20, 35, 50. 50 is what they're charging. Uh, it's not like you're getting business class here. You know, it's, I guess, business class minus the kids. Uh, so they're segregating the place from children. And my thought on this was, is this, is it better to sell it to the business or adult traveler or to offer parents the amenity of saying, hey, look, would you like to go to our exclusive child-friendly area and charge them? And I think if it was my business, I would charge for both. And I'd say, <laughs> you know, whoever, whichever one you want to be in, it's a $49 upcharge or whatever they're charging. And uh, I think that's uh, it's interesting. And it probably makes a lot of sense. But anyway, I'd like your thoughts on that. And we're going to get to some other stories as well. There is another story I wanted to get to here that was interesting. Let me see. The DOD is... Rep- Mm, and that's not the one I want to do now. 800-pound alligator. Nope, not just yet. Uh, another shooting in Louisville. Two dead, five injured. Jeez, I've had enough shootings for today. Forgive me, folks. Uh, National Guard member shoots across the southern border, injuring a Mexican citizen on Mexican land. Nope, I'm going to pass on that one for now. Um, DeSantis booed at a vigil for shooting victims. We'll get into that one in a little bit. And... Let me see. There was another big story I want. The people buying the land. Well, yeah, there was this story here. And I think I mentioned this the other day, and I just wanted to kind of circle back on it because there, there was all sorts of parcels and plots of land that were being 
um, bought up near a California military base. And people were wondering, is it the Chinese? Is it, who's doing this? Well, the uh, mystery buyers of nearly one billion underdeveloped, uh, excuse me, undeveloped land. This is in the New York Post, by the way. Um, kind of adjacent to a military base, revealed to be Silicon Valley investors, not a network of Chinese spies. And again, I'm not sold that Silicon Valley investors are not Chinese spies. I mean, have you ever heard of TikTok? Anyway, the land grab near uh, Travis Air Force Base by Flannery Associates, which has become the largest landowner in Solano County, which is about 60 miles north of San Francisco, has prompted concern that a foreign entity could be using the investment to harm U.S. national security. However, it turns out that Flannery's backers are a who's who list of big tech titans. That include Lincoln co-founder Reed Hoffman and Emerson Collective philanthropist Lawrence Powell. That's according to the New York Times. So again, I don't know how much I believe of that. The deep-pocketed investors reportedly plan to turn the land into their vision for an ideal city featuring sustainable energy and a pedestrian-friendly layout. Um, there's a lot of talk about this all over the place. They're also trying to build like these little communities around shopping malls to eliminate transportation so that you can live in what they call a 15-minute city. This is like ripped right from the pages of the World Economic Forum. You know, Klaus Schwab and his little um, Dr. Evil friend, uh, Yuval Harari. And uh, aside from the LinkedIn uh, guy and Powell, the um, investors reportedly include Mark Anderson, um, or I'm sorry, Andreessen of the private venture f uh, capital firm, Andreessen Horowitz, former Sequoia Capital partner, Michael Moritz. I don't know any of these people. I guess I'm supposed to. If I was a big money guy, I'd probably know them, but I'm not a big money guy. I'm a radio guy. I know you, the callers. So we're going to get to your call straight ahead. Um, they're saying this is not Chinese. I say half of these guys probably shill for China on a regular basis because that's just how it is sometimes, especially in business today. Anyway, I want to get to your calls and your thoughts on this stuff. So let me give you the number. It's 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-482-5337. I'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Familia, welcome back. It's open phones across America. And again, just a reminder that the Biden administration has uh, the alcohol czar, Dr. Koob, and he says that they are strongly considering going to the Canadian model, which is a guideline of no more than two beers per week, two beers per week, uh, according to Biden administration officials. So we'll uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but I want to get to your calls. And of course, there are some people on hold for a while, but I've got to get to Derek He's in Jamestown, New York on WJTN because he usually disagrees with me. And if you disagree, you get straight 
to the front of the line. Derek, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Assalamu alaikum, dear brother. God bless you, sir. Welcome. Uh, yes. In, uh, in the reply, because we have in uh, on this earth in America, no exception, Muslims are all over the earth. There's a billion Muslims. They're doctors in America. They're lawyers. They do a lot. And they look at Americans as infidels because we got the Bible. They got the Holy Quran. Both books complement the Holy Quran. Clears up all of the confusion that's in the Bible. Oh, and so once again, the how-to manual. They, yes. Excuse me. You said it clears up all of the confusion in the Bible, like a how-to manual. How? How what? I can't spend all day on this. Go right ahead. The way you said that, you talk so fast, Rich. You said, it sounds like you said something about hot tomato. I don't know something about anyway. <laughs> no, I said a how-to um, manual. Oh, yeah, how-to manual. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the thing. The manual is in a code, you see. We're looking at it in English, and the Holy Quran is in English, but none of them were in English. And uh, when you have the clan with hoods on. The Ku Klux uh, Klan? The KKK? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. And um, I'm just trying to follow the story uh, here. We went from the Quran, and and now we're talking about the KKK. What's the connection? Yeah. And so the the cross that the KKK uses, that's the symbol that Jesus in Christianity. So uh, Christianity's been... Uh, running rampant for hundreds of thousands of years now, but um, thank God. Have you? Yeah, have you got in touch with the Farrakhan's camp? No, we haven't heard anything from them. I'll find out uh, what the status is on that, and I'll let you know. But it would be a heck of an interview, and I hope he accepts the offer. Yeah, he he will. He's he's a wonderful. They they told so much lies on that man. That man don't steal. He don't bribe. He don't take money from whites because he wants them to know your money is not going to have no strings attached to me. Okay, so, so there's there's an issue with taking money based on people's race. No, on his policy of what money does to people. So people give you money, they think you got to do something for them. So he oh, yeah, like politicians and whatnot. That's sure. politics, yeah. Right, and he know that. So he don't take no money from them on the strength that he's not going to co-op. They're not going to co-op his message or nothing. So uh, if you do get him on, have him for the full two hours because it's going to be a blast. He's, all the questions, he will answer all of them perfect and clear. And a lot of people, consciousness will be raised. Sure. But now, let me ask you a question, uh, because I know today we had, our, we had some discussion on the shooting in Jacksonville. And this shooting uh, of this, this crazy um, neo-Nazi person that went and, and, and killed black people, I think is disgusting and atrocious and inhumane and it's something that should never have happened and should never happen again. What's your thought? My thought is he's been designated. He's one of them <clears throat> that uh, they they want to start a race war with the black man. The black man's nature is he's not a violent person, our nature. If we were to come together 
we could shut this this whole America down. It'll be a, a terrible blood war, and nobody wants to see that. Now, just to clarify, you're man. saying if if black men came together as as one, um, it would shut down America. No, I'm saying if we took uh, like a retaliation mentality, but our nature is not like that. We're not violent. We proved that with the Million Man March. Two million black men and no police had nothing to do. The police, he was just standing around being taught by that lecture. Two million. No. And that's a good thing, right? I think that's an excellent thing. Yeah, and that was a, a classic for all races. But yeah, this violence is, is horrible. And that's the gun thing is out of control. Nobody talks about the gun thing and why this gun thing is going on. And what are your thoughts on the gun thing? Well, it's an agenda. It's an agenda. When they had the Israeli special police come over to America, they in America, they train all of these police departments how to do that chokehold and just kill black men. That chokehold. Hold on a second. Hold on. Hold on. So, Derek, you're saying that the Israeli police were sent to the United States and trained every police officer in America how to choke black men? That's right. Every department. That's right. Why is it not, if there was such a training, that it was done to show them a technique with any perpetrator? Why was it specifically black men? What proof do you have that this is only designed to, to, for a black man? Yeah, this is, is a shocking. And this is the agenda. That but where do you get this information from? This is is how this is the thing. The, the that need the media is not telling you nothing. Okay. But who told you? <laughs> I'm trying to figure. Out. Listen, I, I'm, let me share a story with you. Right. So when my kids were little, my uh, my oldest daughter was in kindergarten, and that year there was somebody around the area that was trying to lure kids into their car. Uh, a five year old, and I my daughter was I think five at the time. So, uh, and the other one was one or one and a half, whatever. Yeah, she was like one. And they sent the letter home saying, you know, parents be advised that somebody's trying to lure kids into, you know, into a a tinted vehicle. And and then the next day they sent something saying, if you want to join the police department in that town as a volunteer, uh, let us know. We'll send you to an abbreviated police academy, et cetera, et cetera. So I I inquired about it and it it was something that would work for me. So the, the police reserve in that town, I signed up and became a reservist, part of their auxiliary, and it was um, it was cool. I went to the police academy for three months, got trained on use of force and uh, how to arrest people and all the laws in New Jersey that would, would allow you to, you know, use force and arrest people and the use of the police car and all of that stuff. And I, I learned a lot, and we learned a lot of self-defense. We learned a lot of um, different techniques, and none of them were ever taught as this is specifically for people of any race. So uh, when you tell me something like that, somebody who's been through a, a short version of a police academy, I, I can tell you, I've, I've never heard of anything like that. Yeah, I know, because let's get it straight for the record. All policemen are not violent. All policemen are not bad. It's the bad ones that's making it uh, bad for the good ones. That agenda that they did with you, that was a public thing and all of that, they got the other agenda in the other squad, and they showing you every day 
just like that guy, what he did in, in, in Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown. Well, Trayvon Martin on. was a Spanish guy who was getting robbed outside his house and shot the guy. And the guy happened to be Trayvon Martin, who said that he was just going to store for Skittles, but ended up going after this guy, Jorge Zimmerman. Yeah, see, and that's on top of all of the historical lynchings and murders. They used to take the black woman's baby well, and feed Well, that's a whole different story, alligator. Derek. I mean, if we're, hold on a second. If we're going to talk about, yes, there was racism and it was atrocious and it was horrible and lots of bad things happened, you know, uh, many, many years ago. But to say that Israeli police forces came to the United States to train our police just to be able to kill black men is is just lies like that. There's no way you could support it. I've given you three or four different chances to to try and say where you got this information from. And the reality is no police department in America could legally do that. And now I agree with you that most cops are good and there's a few bad apples. Sure. And if they decided to do that, that's a different thing. It's an isolated incident. But it's not like uh, there's there's an uh, overarching agenda to strangle black men by way of police. Yes, it is. They're doing it. They're showing you. That's, that's the proof right there. That's not, there's no proof. I mean, listen, if we were to look at how many um, black men are, are killed by police, I would bet you anything without even looking at the stats that it's not by way of being choked. I think you're off base on this one. The music means I got to go, but I appreciate it, Derek. Thank you, sir. Derek in Jamestown, New York, WJTN. I always give him a lot of time to make his points. I don't always get them all, but I try my best with them. I really do. Folks, we're going to continue with the rest of your calls. we got Iowa, Minnesota, South Carolina, and more. You get to weigh in. Coming up next, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Welcome back. And I want to go to the phones because uh, some people want to weigh in on, on what we're talking about here. Uh, let's go to Carter, Staples, Minnesota, KVBR. Carter, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Uh, good afternoon. Good evening, Rich. Uh, first, I just want to say I came across your program, I don't know, a couple of months ago. But you are as graceful and patient with these people that call in as anyone I've Thank ever you. heard you you don't ever resort to sarcasm. You are always just patient. Just give me time. <laughs> <laughs> in in any event, the guy that just called in, the Quran was published in around eight ten to eight forty in there somewhere. Yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. it's 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 a pretty um, angry book. I mean, I think it's chapter nine and I can double check this, but 
the infidels are just to be killed. That's all there is to it. It, it doesn't say anything about the Christian faith, like let's tell them why we think our idea is a better idea. Let's just kill them. And yeah. Concerning- well, in fairness, I, I, oh, well, I'm not an expert on the Quran, so I can't really weigh in one way or the other. I, I can say I know so many people uh, that are Muslims that are incredibly peaceful, wonderful people that have never killed any infidels, that have never done anything like that. And then you have the more um, radical Islamist that kind of interprets the Quran a different way. The same way you have some radical Christians, in, in, in truth be told, right? There are some, some verses in the Bible that uh, quote, and the violent take it by force, and they, they mischaracterize these quotes, and they go and bomb abortion clinics. And I think radical crazies on any side are never good. It doesn't really help anybody or anything, at least from my perspective, Carter. You're exactly right. None of them really take the text, except take a certain small passage and take that out of context. To further, on this uh, welfare issue, um, I'm an old Democrat from the 70s. I belong to the union. I was voting Democrat for that purpose. But the Democrat Party of the 70s, is nowhere close to the seven to the uh, Democratic Party of the 2020s here. Now it's I, I know that to be true, but what are the main changes you've seen, Carter? Well, they've gone so far to the left. The idea that the left and the right can sit down and come up with a compromise has become more and more difficult over the last decade. Um. When I was a child, I had a mom who worked. She got, I think it was referred to as AFDC in those days. She could only earn X amount. But she was expected to go to work. And then the government made up the difference. If in those days you had to earn $4 an hour and she was earning two and a quarter, the government made up the difference between the $4 and the two and a quarter. She wasn't allowed to just sit at home. The government still expected mom to go out and work for 40 hours. And then the government would just make up the difference. And I think that's a system we should think about going back to. That's a great plan. Let me tell you, you know, one time, I share this story, and I will share it a lot, because uh, not too many people have this privilege. But I, um, I had a phone conversation while he was waiting on hold to talk to the great one, Mark Levin, with Dr. Thomas Sowell, uh, the world-renowned economist. And he, we had a lot of discussion about a lot of things, mainly about my involvement in charter schools and his, because he had just written a book on that. But he went on to, in the interview and, and later to explain about his story uh, where he'd grown up, I think it was in Alabama or Georgia, somewhere in the South, um, and made his way to New York so that he could have more opportunities. And he was living with a family member that was receiving public assistance. And he described it the same way that you did, that you had to be, go and work, you had to do whatever, and eventually she was able to come off of it. And, you know, living in a housing project wasn't something that was done in perpetuity either, because he said they lived in public housing, and that it was... It was a very uh, respectable process that really helped people 
to move forward and not stay on any type of public assistance. However, today, we've created a system that's not a safety net, but really an ecosystem for poverty, where people can now become a permanent member of the poverty class. And I think that is crazy. And uh, the common sense ideas like you're talking about and like Dr. Soul has mentioned, that's exactly what we need in America to allow people to participate and join in on the American dream. At least that's my two cents. No, and I think you're exactly right. We have forgotten the general sense of the idea that we feel better when we're out for 40 hours. We get food for our kids. We get clothes for our kids. But we don't sit on the couch all day, send the kids off to school, and right. wait for that check to come in. Yeah, you're we right. Have, and it it and, ultimately and creates a situation where we have people that are becoming not only just dependent on the system, but then figure out how to work around that system. And instead of helping people, we're kind of hurting them permanently. And I think that's a terrible place for us to be. Carter in Staples, Minnesota, thank you for your call, sir. I appreciate it. Godspeed to you, KVBR. Folks, we're getting to the rest of your calls right now. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Congratulations on this an amazing show. I know you've worked so hard in the industry and nobody deserves it more than you do. So I'm happy to see you really succeeding here. It's awesome. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. The president said in, in Tahoe that he had tentatively decided to recommend everyone get the new vaccine. When is he going to decide finally? So as you, I think you've heard from the F, uh, FDA and CDC, uh, they've made an announcement on the new vaccine. Uh, so certainly uh, they said that they will have an, there'll be an updated vaccine September, mid-September, I believe. So uh, we know that, as you all know, vaccinations against COVID-19 remains the safest protection for avoiding hospitalization, long-term health outcomes and death, which is why we are, we are going to be encouraging uh, Americans to stay up to date on their vaccines. House Press Secretary KJP She's, of course, responding to that um, clip of audio. It's a little hard to hear, but Biden basically says, yeah, we got a new vaccine and everybody should take it. Everybody should take a new vaccine. And uh, I say, move over, Dr. Fauci. We have America's new health expert, Joe El Baboso Biden. He's the one now recommending vaccines uh, as if as if um, this was uh, the middle of the pandemic. Uh, we have a new vaccine. You got to wait. But wait, there's more. You're going to love this one. I got to tell you. This is just so funny. And uh, and there's some other Biden news out there. I don't want to throw too much at you, but the National Archives has now admitted it has 5,400 Biden pseudonym emails. You know, him saying that he's Robert Peters or Robert Ware 
or um, J.R. Beware. I mean, all of his fake names. F- more than 5,000 emails that potentially show President Biden using a pseudonym. So we'll get into that in a moment. But I want to get to your calls. I know that a lot of people have been patiently waiting. Let us go to Ann in Ames, Iowa, listening on KASI. Welcome, Ann. Well, thank you very much. I don't have much controversial to say tonight. I was just calling to tell you that I really enjoyed your interview of Bill Cunningham. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was a great interview. He's an amazing broadcaster and literally, quote, trademark, a great American. Yeah, right. And I just stumbled on him a couple of years ago. And so I make it a point to set up late every Sunday night and hear what he has to say. But I really didn't know much about his background. So I just found it very interesting. It sort of made him more of a real person than what I call him, my ranting and raving Sunday night talk show host. <laughs> so he's I'm a real fan of his and a fan of yours, too. Oh, thank you, Ann. I appreciate that. And I'm a fan of his as well. I actually worked with him several times um, in years past, and uh, he was always a a pleasure. He's a a really excellent broadcaster, really bright guy, and uh, I was happy that he was able to join us. uh, Because it's not always easy, you know, depending on what shift people work. I'm live at night, so not everybody is is live at night uh, or able to be live at night. But I was grateful that he came on, and I'm grateful for your call as well, Ann. Well, thank you very much, and I think you guys that are willing to to uh, have a late night show are pretty brave. <laughs> thank you, I appreciate that. It's it's not always easy, but it's always fun. Now, Anne, let me ask you before you go: um, What are your thoughts about this new vaccine? It's not an old vaccine or a booster. It's a new vaccine for COVID nineteen that the the president wants everybody to take. Take it. I wouldn't take any vaccine right now. I just think there's been too many complications. And um, it, it frightens me. Yeah, I hear you. I think a lot of Americans feel the same way. Thank you, Ann in Ames, Iowa, KASI. Big shout out to everybody listening over there in Iowa. Let us continue our little journey across America. And uh, let's check in with, let's see here, Robert. Robert in Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi, Rich. I just wanted to let you know that you spoke about Mikhail Gorbachev not too long ago. And and, um, I just wanted you to know that, you know, he said point blank, he said the reason why the Soviet Union fell is because the people of the Soviet Union didn't want it anymore. And and all the other people who helped, like Ronald Reagan has helped significantly. Great job. The Pope, great job. All the people of Western Europe and the whole rest of the world who helped, great job. But the thing is, what they did is they basically prevented a catastrophe from happening because, you know, there were a couple of people who weren't so crazy about the Soviet Union falling, like, for example, Eric, Eric Milka, for example, and, 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 and he, he may have had a greater leg to stand on. And remember, Mikhail Gorbachev also was, was, there was a coup at the end toward, and he was in jail for a while. And as a matter of fact, I even wrote him a, a letter and I put return receipt requested. And in the meantime, by the time the letter got there, he got out of jail and uh, I got the return receipt requested with a, a big red star that was Stamped on there, so he, he he was an amazing guy, you know. He 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 he, Gorbachev? he, he remember he from Gorbachev. That's right, yes. And 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 the other thing was, remember the parade he the, he had downtown Washington D.C. with Ronald Reagan. They they did they did a a, a tour of downtown Washington with a with yeah. a, by car, the two of them. Okay, well that was also a great idea because it showed everybody. 
here, attention, this is what's going to happen. Now get ready for this. So, so that was a good thing, too, because that, that put people in the former Soviet Union and the whole rest of the world on notice that it's going to happen now. So you, you get, don't, don't do anything rash. You know, do everything reasonable because, it, because the end is coming. Well, everybody knew the end was I, – I sensed it was near myself. I mean, I, I had no doubts about it. I just was hoping that it wasn't, wasn't going to be like – you see, when a, when, a, when, a, when a society like that falls apart, it cracks a lot of times. It doesn't, it doesn't fall apart easy because but, – but they, they did a good job in making it, it fall easy. And Gorbachev was a very honorable guy, guy, and he was very – Ronald Reagan was very lucky when he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Well, he was lucky he was saying it to the right guy. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know that it was luck. I think Reagan knew exactly what he was doing, and I think he knew that the timing was right to to go for this move, and it was both um, diplomatic and political. I believe that Gorbachev was the the right guy in so much as he was willing to play ball with Reagan because he knew they really couldn't mess around much more, right? This It was either this or that, and they chose this, and that made the most sense. But I will tell you, I've spoken with several, like, uh, communist scholars, anti-communist scholars, and researchers, and, and they've shared with me that many in the anti-communist um, movement uh, and in that world, in that field of study, they believe that this wasn't really a collapse of communism in the USSR as we saw it, but more so a ceremonial collapse of or reversal of some of their policies. So to say, and this is my, my opinion, that somehow Russia today and what it's become after it was divested the way it was, is different from China in many ways. But I think in many ways it's the same, right? Nobody's going to argue that China is not still um, communist in many ways, right? They have, they're run by the Chinese Communist Party. That's their only political party. That's, that's what they are. Uh, but yet they use many elements of capitalism to continue to build their economy while still doing what they do, like imprisoning Muslims and making the women and grow their hair so they could sell human hair and then harvesting organs and all the other stuff that, that they do that are human rights abuses and, and they seem to never get in trouble for. But ultimately, uh, I tend to believe that the fall of communism as we knew it didn't really occur. Um, it, it happened, but it didn't change things. And all we have to do, I think, is look at the way things work in Russia today, where you had prime minister, then president, then president, then prime minister, and, and whatever other positions he had, it's been the same guy, Vladimir Putin, forever and a day. And it's not because of his overwhelming popularity or because he's the nicest guy in town, but it's because he's still like a despot-style dictator. And I think this is what really, um, this is what really drives a thriving communist movement, where the government is ultimately in charge, where if you're Yevgeny uh, Prigozhin and you decide to to stage a coup or a march against Putin, you end up dead. And I didn't think that would happen, uh, at least not that quickly, but it did. So th that's my personal thought on that. And um, I appreciate your story. I don't know that I would call Gorbachev a great guy, but I do know that uh, he was probably the best guy to cut the deal with. We're definitely not going to cut a deal like that with Putin if you know the roles were changed and we were to do that today. Robert, thank you for your call. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
All right, folks, as we wrap up the program tonight, we're going to go to La Crosse, Wisconsin, W-I-Z-M. Check in with our buddy Brent. Brent, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Uh, thank you very much. I consider myself a Christian. Um, I learned about Christianity the hard way through jail and prison, unfortunately. I got jumped years ago when I worked for Clean Pacific Railroad. I was 24, and... Uh, so anyway, I learned the hard way, and I realized I run this one book where I was a friend in the library that talks about Christianity. I think the problem we have in our country is is they're leading a the lie that this was a Christian country, and they're trying to say it wasn't, but it was founded upon Christianity when the pilgrims landed. And uh, the book of Zephaniah talks about the story the gentleman was talking about. Zephaniah talks about how the immoral and deceitful leaders created a society where only the evil and wicked were allowed to prosper and the righteous suffered. And society started deteriorating it. Um, Isaiah chapter 1 is a good chapter to read about the Bible, too, and so is Haggai and Habak. But uh, my uh, ancestors go back. My earliest ancestor born in America was born in a place called Isus, Massachusetts in 1640. And uh, I wasn't really expecting to get in tonight, but I think a lot of the problems is, 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 uh, is, is we're being led astray from God and we need to be led back to the Lord. I think you're 100% right, Brent. Uh, and, and not because I think we should be a theocracy and not because I think that Christianity um, should be the, the lay of the land. I think that I, I hope everybody would consider it and make it their faith. But ultimately because there's nothing in Christianity that makes America a worse place, in my opinion. And, and th- that's just the bottom line. I, I don't see anybody being hurt by it and by people turning away from any faith, honestly. Uh, makes us a more secular nation, which opens up the doors for lots of other things that are maybe not consistent with where we need to be. And I wish I had more time to expound upon that, but that's all I got. Hasta la próxima. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.